Okay, the inside out. How many of you, I remember on week one, when we, excuse me one second, let me, okay, week one. I asked the question, how many of you have not seen the movie Inside Out? Last night, we had a gym. I mean, it was packed. It was really cool. Thanks to Melissa and Andy Delgado for the, they just put on a great, I mean, I almost ran out of popcorn last night with so many people here. And what's a movie without a popcorn, right? Uh, they did a great job. Thank you so much to them. So a lot of you came out last night. I saw a lot of people here that didn't even have, don't even have kids that came out. So that was cool. Um, now, question is, though, how many of you still have not seen the movie? Be brave. Put your hand up. Okay, still a number of you. Okay. I asked that question because i got to give a little, I just want to know how much setup I need to give to this clip we're going to play to start us out. Uh, many of you know, hopefully know by now, the movie is about a little girl named Riley with her emotions kind of, it's kind of looking this imaginative world inside her head. Now, there's a control center that Joy, uh, Joy the Emotion, who's personified as a person, a little, little bright yellow character, and Sadness, the blue character, get lost. They're, they're out of the control center, and they're fighting throughout the movie to get back to the control center. Well, the clip I'm going to show you captures contempt uh, because you'll, you'll, you'll can't miss it. You'll see the contempt in the clip. Uh, but joy and sadness finally get themselves back. And in getting back, contempt actually helped get them there. So go ahead and watch this clip. guess I don't speak moron as well as you. I mean, there it is, contempt at its finest. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> Hold on a second. You know what's fun about that movie? I mentioned this where if you watch it with your kids and then ask even, even your husband or wife, ask them when it's all done, who did you relate to in the movie? It's kind of fun. Uh, we have one of ours relates to Disgust, a little green character. So I'm not sure what that says about that child, but it's a lot of fun to kind of get to know that. Now, this morning, we're going to talk about this subject of contempt. Contempt, what it really is, it's anger and disgust kind of wrapped up together. And it's something that we don't talk about a lot. I find it interesting. Matter of fact, I would venture to guess a lot of times when this subject comes up in the context of a church or a sermon or a book, a lot of times it immediately gets linked with anger. But it's interesting, the scriptures pull it apart from anger, and it's a form of anger, and anger is involved at some level, but contempt is, is far broader and far bigger. Turn with me, if you will, to Psalm 123. Again, if you're new to the Bible... Uh, to help you out, there's Bibles there in the seats in front of you. Feel free to grab one of them, page 514. We'd even say, we say it most weeks, if you don't have a Bible, we'd say take that one home with you, our gift from us to you. Now, we're looking through the Psalms, kind of the series, because the Psalms capture the emotion. That's what music does. Music, I say it when we stand backstage and pray before the service. I love to look at our musicians, and here's what I say to them regularly, and I hope they don't ever get tired of me saying this. I look at them and say, you, what you guys do, leading music out here, is doing something that I cannot do. See, a lot of people look at what the pastor does on the stage as the most important thing in the service. It's highly important. I don't minimize it. But what happens up here with the music is equally as important because music speaks to the heart, puts language to the emotion in ways that rational thought and word does not and cannot. And we acknowledge that. So I love just looking at them and saying what you guys are about to do is hugely important. Thank you for doing it. Hope you, hope you don't continue to do it and do it well. So that's what we're doing. We're reading Psalms 150. It's like the hymnal for the nation of Israel is really what this was. Um, so we're up to 100, we're 123 here. We're basically looking at the lyrics of a song. That's what kind of what they are. So verse 1, 
Now, this is written, this psalm is written during what would be called a period of exile. So God's people were said, hey, listen, if you don't get things turned around, a nation's going to come in and capture you and take you off. And that's likely when this was written. Many scholars think it was written, if you're familiar with the Old Testament history. If not, that's okay. But it's kind of written during the time of Babylonian exiles, kind of what's believed here. Uh, so, And you'll see verse 2 especially, you'll see that imagery of exile and captivity and, and slaves. Verse 1, I lift my eyes to you, O God, enthroned in heaven. Huge, huge thought here when we talk about contempt. Anytime you're struggling, again, throughout this whole series, when you feel that emotion, make sure we're taking it to our, to our God. Now look, he's enthroned in heaven. I love that picture, and we'll come back around to that. Verse 2, we keep looking to the Lord our God for his mercy. Just as servants keep their eyes on their master, as a slave girl watches her mistress for the slightest signal. So again, they're, that would, they're singing their songs, kind of like the Negro spirituals of many years past here in, in America. This would kind of have been a song that would have been sung and that would have resonated with, with the nation of Israel as they're off of captured in, in slavery. Verse 3, have mercy on us, Lord, have mercy, for we have had our fill of, here's our word, we've had enough of it, of contempt. Now, verse 4 then, what 4 does is going to do for us is going to kind of get our study really moving because verse 4 links now the heart behind contempt. We have had more than our fill. So remember, it's contempt, but now he says we've had more than our fill of the scoffing of the proud. When you're in the receiving end of contempt, when someone has contempt for you, you know, what's interesting to me <laughs> this week as I was studying, got online and searching contempt. I'd love to just kind of see what's out there in the World Wide Web. I could not get over it. The majority of the use of the word contempt, you know what it is? Court. Contempt of court. It's like every other, everything. So I had a hard, it was interesting. So that's generally we hear the word, but this word, what stands behind contempt is actually a proud heart. So verse 4, we have had more than our fill of the scoffing of the proud and the contempt of the arrogant. Now, if I ask you to define contempt, if I said, okay, turn to your neighbor and just define contempt, give a good, clear definition. I think a lot of us would struggle to give a definition. But if I said, turn to your neighbor and describe it, I think we'd probably do a little better. What contempt generally is, it's the rolling of the eyes. Many of you would say, yeah, you know, when my husband or my wife or my neighbor, my, when they roll, they kind of, oh, here he goes again. That's contempt. It's subtle. It's easy. Uh, it's the uh, studies show that when you really have a contemptuous spirit, often the, the one side of your upper lip will lift up. So, again, when you're watching your spouse or you're watching the, their lip begins to lift, you're like, ah, they're contemptuous. Or many people will describe a sarcastic or snippy tone. We don't even know how to put words to it. We just know that was kind of snippy. I'm not sure. And that's contempt at its, at its finest. Um, what it really is, here's a definition. There's a lot of things. Number one, it's anger and disgust wrapped up together. It's kind of looking out thinking, man, what's wrong with you? Disgust and then anger. I'm kind of ticked off and, and we're going to kind of lay that out there. Um, but it's beneath, kind of when you have contempt for someone, you're saying, you know what? You're beneath consideration. Another word that gets thrown around with contempt is worthless and dehumanizing. You're basically saying, I don't have time for you. I'm smarter than you. I'm better than you. Are you an idiot? Are you stupid? It's kind of this attitude of you're just not even human. It's a, it's a distancing thing. It connects. What contempt does is it connects with our deep desire to connect. 
We fear being on the outside looking in. And what contempt does is contempt basically says join us, become like us, conform or die is really what it says, is what contempt is is really going after. Um, Dallas Willard, who actually, uh, it's interesting, not a lot of people separate anger and contempt. Dallas Willard, if you're familiar with his writings, the book Divine Conspiracy, Harder read, but a well worth your time if you can push through it. Um, it says this. He says this. Contempt can hurt so badly and destroy so deeply that murder would almost be a mercy. In fact, what I have found, and psychologists would kind of back this up, is much of our drive in life to succeed is often rooted because of the echoing voice of contempt given by a mom, a dad, a coach, a teacher, someone that just says you're never going to make it. Or the person that's turned down over and over by a date or that, that introvert that's always shy and always felt ridiculed for it. So much of what we desire in life is driven from the contempt that we felt from someone else. And it echoes throughout life. And it's subtle and it often goes unchecked. Now, a couple other places in the Psalms where it shows up. Let me kind of, we're looking at Psalm 23. This one, there's a lot in the Psalms on this one. This one is actually quite heavily If you just read through Psalm 1 to 150, you're going to capture this one a lot. Uh, Psalm 31. Now, look at this. Now, again, remember I said it's hard to define, but it's easy to describe. There's a lot of descriptions here. I am scorned by all my enemies and despised by my neighbors. Even my friends are afraid to come near me. So, again, you're going to see this thing throughout this, this isolation, almost like you're unlovable. So even my friends are afraid to come near me. When they see me on the street, they run the other way. I am ignored as if I were dead, as if I were a broken pot. Now this next line, we're going to actually come back to later in in the talk here. I have heard the many rumors about me. Where you find gossip and where you find rumors, you find contempt. Hands down. Now, continues, my enemies conspire against me, plotting to take my life. So it's really this feeling of isolation and unlovable on the outside looking in. Psalm 102, verses 6 to 11 says this, I am like an owl in the desert, like a little owl in a far-off wilderness. I lie awake. Look at, see, here it is again, lonely, this isolation. No one loves me. I'm actually, no one even enjoys me. So I'm lonely as if a solitary bird on the roof. My enemies taunt me day after day. They mock and curse me. I eat ashes for food. My tears run down into my drink because of your anger and wrath. So here we see the anger and wrath piece comes in. So it's not just disgust, uh, but also you see this anger. For you have picked me up and thrown me out. My life passes as swiftly as the evening shadows. I'm withering away like grass. And then the final one I'll show is um, Psalm 22. Now, Psalm 22... This is an interesting psalm. When you read Psalm 22 and you read then the Easter story, which is we're right on the heels of, uh, Psalm 22 is you read stuff that you hear at the cross of Jesus Christ. You read things that the soldiers say. So what, what theologians and scholars have called, this is what's called a messianic psalm, a foretelling of Jesus Christ is, is kind of what this is. Jesus Christ quotes Psalm 22 even from the cross. Very powerful. But think about Jesus in the Easter story. He had contempt thrown at him. He had his beard plucked. That's contempt. He was spit upon. I mean, it's dehumanizing. Um, he had uh, the people, the, the soldiers gather around and threw dice to say, hey, I want his clothes. And they just had no regard for him as a person. So here it is. But I am a worm and not a man. So look at this. Contempt will ultimately wither you down to the point where you think, man, I'm, not, I'm just worthless. I am scorned and despised by all. Everyone who sees me mocks me. They sneer and shake their heads, saying, Is this the one who relies on the Lord? Then let the Lord save him. Does that sound familiar? 
Do you guys recognize that? If those of you familiar with the Easter story, you know that that was said to Jesus. Hey, if he's really the son of God, may he, I mean, let him save him. But it's, again, this whole psalm is a powerful psalm. Then let the Lord save him. If the Lord loves him so much, let the Lord rescue him. But again, it's this isolation is pushing out on the outside looking in. Now, what contempt at the real core of it you see in Psalm 123 is this, this essence of pride and arrogance. Now, this may sound blown way out of proportion, but here's, I believe, what really lays behind contempt. People recognize that you cannot attack God's glory. Oh, you can go at it. There's been many of atheists and many of wise, or or not wise so much, but brilliant minds that have laid out cases to disprove who God is, that even exist. But you know what? Ultimately, they go to the grave and God marches on. No matter how hard you try, you will not assail the glory of God. So we soon learn as humans, well, okay, I can't go at God, but you know what? Every one of you sitting here bears his glory, his image. Now, it's marred by sin, but all of you bear the image of God. So what contempt is doing, it says, okay, I can't take God down. I'll take his glory out. It's like, it's it's arrogance saying, you know what? Okay, I can't take God on face to face, so I'm going to take him on behind his back. Without ever looking him in his eye, I'm going to just dehumanize the people that are created like him. That's contempt at its core. It's, it's arrogance and it's pride. Now, what I've found is it's uglier than anger, yet it's far more prevalent and I would even suggest unchecked. Let me give you a couple examples of where I see this. It may be as you were a child or maybe even, in, maybe even a teenager, uh, that moment when you, you couldn't quite make it to the bathroom and you realize you're standing in a puddle, and everyone around you is laughing their heads off. That's contempt. It's contempt for you. It's not grace, and it's, it's not walking towards. It's, it's maybe the spouse who walks by the sink and notices that their spouse put the dishes in the sink, and they should be in the dishwasher. Okay, it's a problem. We want to, want to take care of that. But the tone in which it's said is they're sitting in the other room. Come on, why can't you put the dishes in the dishwasher? Again, it's contempt. It's said not with a means to help, to to build up, to encourage, to strengthen, to change behavior. It's said with disgust. You're 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 not even worth my time. Is really what you're saying. It's it's stuff like this. Maybe it's um, you're sitting with a friend and you're talking about something. You're not quite connecting, and they just you're so stupid. Again, it's, dis- it's just dehumanizing. It, it puts it down. Uh, or maybe you're sitting talking with someone and they're pouring their heart out and you begin to offer some suggestions to them and they fire back at you, well, <laughs> if it were only that easy. Again, oftentimes it's not so much what's said and maybe your remarks weren't helpful, but the tone in which it comes out is like, what's wrong with you? Is basically the message of it. It's dehumanizing. It's distancing. It, it's not care for the person. Uh, or maybe it's you're talking with someone and they give you feedback, and you're like, no, wait a minute. And then you correct it, and they say, well, I was just joking. Really? <laughs> Didn't sound so funny, and I'm not laughing. That actually hurt. Or maybe it's just flat out you're making a joke about you're sitting around with your brothers, and you're, you're grown now, and you're, you know what? Mom's cooking is so bad, she can't even boil water. And you're beginning to talk about mom's cooking. Or, or the one, um, maybe you're leaving and you're out in the car waiting for your spouse and your spouse is notoriously late and they finally get in the car and you just turn and look at him and say, can we ever get there on time? 
Again, should we get there in time? Yeah, that would be nice. That would be very nice. But we don't need to talk, again, that tone in which it comes out. Or maybe it's a flat-out statement of what's wrong with you. Or the classic parenting. Here's the classic parenting. Parents, guys, I'm a parent. I look hard in the mirror in this one. I think sometimes I show my kids contempt. Don't intend to, but here's one where classic parent line. Why did you do that? Well, because I'm a sinner, because I'm seven, because I'm not sure. Why did I do that? And they could turn on the city to, why did you do that? I mean, why do we sin? Why do we say that to our kids? It dehumanizes, it distances us from them. It doesn't say, I'm a fellow struggler here to help you. It's a distancing comment. Or, what were you thinking? Well, I wasn't, honestly. I just had an impulse and I went with it. I mean, it's again, so that's contempt. And what I find so often is we'll name anger and we'll nail it to the wall. But we let contempt run in our relationships and go unchecked. And then we begin to hurt. And we wonder why we hurt. Well, we hurt because someone's showing us contempt. And it's painful. And so Psalm 123 comes along and says, hey, lift your eyes to the Lord. Find help there. Don't look at your enemies. Look to him. A couple things I just want to kind of point out to help us identify it. Um, there's three things I think really very clearly show up with contempt. The first one, excuse me, I mentioned in Psalm 31 verse 13, the rumors. This is a big one. Gossip. Now, you know what's interesting about gossip? Gossip fosters perverse intimacy. I believe that's why gossip runs rampant. Because we in this room are wired to connect. We're wired to relate. We want to be on the inside, and, and we realize, well, I can't connect. Well, what, what gossip does is I get to be in the know, and I'm going to talk about him, or I'm going to talk about her. And, and it almost creates this, like, I know them, but yet I'm really distant from them. It's a perverse form of intimacy. We feel good to know that we're not like them even, is what gossip is. Gossip is the whole, did you hear, oh, my word, Mr. and Mrs. Smith, hey, hey. I gotta, we got to talk. we got to pray for Mr. and Mrs. Smith. Mr. Smith had an affair. Did you hear that? And then you go on to talk about, well, yeah, well, you know what? She's not a real peach to live with. And then it just starts to unroll from there. It's gossip at its finest. Or, you know what? Did you hear their son was arrested? I mean, let's have a prayer meeting right now because, I mean, yeah, well, yeah, well, why wouldn't he be? I mean, she's a loser of a mom. And, and, and on and on it goes. Or We love to look in to that private moment to peek in at the private heartache and the shame. Now, slander also runs in this group. Slander is actually a form of gossip. What slander is, let me see, have you ever heard of the word slander? It's, it's kind of a word that doesn't get used a lot. But slander is a form of gossip. And what slander does, a slander accuses without the other person having a choice to defend themselves. So maybe you hear someone say something and you get ticked off. And you just go at them or, or you go at pro- someone else about them and they never have a chance to say, well, no, wait a minute, you took that all wrong. <laughs> Can I share maybe put my hand up and just share kind of what I really meant by that? Or maybe you, you just simply, you know, you get together and you just absolutely run someone through the mud and they're not there to defend themselves. Slander is ultimately passing judgment without due process. Judge and jury, verdict, bang, boom, done. Without ever stepping and engaging now, it's okay to see a problem. There's a problem. I've got to name the problem, walk towards the problem. It's a whole other thing to just condemn, judge it, and move on. Now, what's interesting to me with gossip, 
Gossip is often, when you read through the scriptures, oftentimes you'll see these lists of sins show up. Kind of God's top ten list, if you will. Apostle Paul does it. You see it in the book of Revelation. You see it all over the place, these ten lists. Gossip on almost every list shows up. God hates this sin. He cannot stand it. Romans 1.29 would be an example for you to look at. It's a whole list of kind of depravity of humankind building. Gossip gets named in that list. Now, I'll give you a little test on do you struggle with gossip. Romans 12.14 is a verse that says, pray for those who persecute you. So you've got someone in your life who, who is just not a lot of fun. They're coming at you. It says pray for them. And it's interesting it says, it doesn't just say pray that they would get their act together. Oh, dear God, please help her. No, it's not. It says actually pray for their success. Read it. It's crazy. Some of you struggle in your marriage. I'd say this is a great verse to apply. It's unfortunate you may live with the person that's kind of, you know, not real close or friends with. Great verse to pray. Dear God, I pray for his success. Bless him today. Bless her. That's what it really says. That's a card of grace and mercy. So here's the questions I kind of derive from this to unpack gossip. Number one, do you truly, the information that you're getting on the phone to share, you're talking with your friend, do you truly hunger for their joy? That's really deep down in you're saying, I hunger for them to be successful and joyful. On the flip side, do you truly, deep down in, sorrow for their struggle? I mean, it just grieves you and breaks your heart. And you know the pain that they must go through. Second question, does what you're sharing draw you towards the person or push you away from them? True love and grace is going to step towards the mess. And oftentimes what gossip does, it just draws that gap bigger. So is what I'm sharing drawing me towards because, you know, a lot of times, well, I was just going to them for help. Well, did, you, did it help? Did you get closer or did you further away? Sometimes I think us going for help is just simply good, juicy gossip where it makes us feel really good. Third one, what you're about to say, have you said this to the person themselves and would you say it again? It's okay to go talk to someone about their struggles. That's loving. But make sure you talk to them and not everyone else about it. So gossip is a big one. So again, you may be on the receiving end of this, right? I talk to teenagers. You hear them talk. This is a big one. They can't stand this. I'll hear regularly throughout my, as a youth pastor and even now as a pastor, I'll hear people leave and go to homeschooling. Why go on homeschooling? I cannot stand the people at school. This is usually the reason. Everyone talks. Everyone's saying stuff. Gossip is huge. It's, it's contempt at its finest. It kills families. It kills churches, destroys churches when left unchecked, when the leadership isn't brave enough and courageous enough to call it out. It kills communities. It kills countries. I cannot stand watching the news this weekend, listen to all the politicals. It's slander at its finest, just ripping people apart. It's like, gracious, can we just be civil and sit down and have a conversation? So, again, big deal. Next one, contempt often involves and will involve at some level boasting, arrogance, pride. 
Okay, again, now this one's a, this one you saw in 123 verse 4. You see it there. And basically it's kind of the look at what I know or look at who I know or look at what I can do or look at what they do for me. It's kind of the, the little boy at the playground that says, oh, yeah, my dad makes more money than your dad. And the other guy sits back and scoffs, oh, yeah, well, my dad can beat up your dad. And then it's like goes round and round. So it's this lifting up and this boasting. Scriptures uh, talk about boasting very candidly. God says he opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Um, The Bible says, links to boasting, here's the things that generally the scriptures say that we boast about. Number one, we boast about our power, our prestige, our our control, our prowess. Number two, we boast about our desires, the things that we we hope for and desire and are running after, we want to have. We boast about our wealth and our security therein. We boast about our future. (laughs) James chapter 4 chuckles at this because it says, you guys have your whole future planned out. It's arrogant, James says. You don't even know if you're going to be alive tomorrow, let alone if you're going to work. So it says well, we, we boast and we're arrogant because we lay out our whole future. We lay our plans out for us and our kids, and, man, it just goes on. And we boast about our cleverness, how smart we are, how intelligent we are, how wise we are, and we kind of boast about that. We boast about our abilities. Ultimately, what, what boasting is, here's why it's contempt, because it's saying glory in me. And what contempt really does is it struggles to celebrate the glory in you. I mean, it's just, it's that reality. Someone comes along and they begin to share something with you, and inside you're thinking, well, <laughs> wish I could do that. Why can't you just stop and say, man, good for you. That's awesome. So, again, it's that reality of getting a The next one is one we don't think about a lot, but you'll see it show up in the Psalms, blame shifting. The problem's never in the room. Now, here's why I put this one in here. (laughs) Feedback is awesome. I love it. I'm learning to love it more. I don't know what I don't know. And I don't know that I don't know what I don't know. I've just come to full grips with it. And when I embrace reality, it is my friend. I love it. But what I've learned, oftentimes criticism that's going to come your direction is oftentimes laced with contempt. In fact, I would venture a guess it's, it's more often it has contempt in it than it doesn't. So often a person's coming to correct you because they are ticked off because you have hurt them, not because they really care for you. So often, and, you, and you'll sense it in their tone, in the, their, their sarcastic speech, the way they begin to talk to you, they realize you soon, you realize you're on trial and you didn't even get to talk yet. So again, blame shifting, the problem is out there. The other thing I put blame shifting up there is because there's a person that we show contempt for, I believe, more than anyone else. You know who it is? Right here. We're going to talk about this next week, the contempt that we show ourselves. Man, some of us in this room struggle with who we are. and We can't stand it. So we're going to talk about that one at great length next week as we deal with the subject of shame. But what happens a lot of times is when we begin to stare in the face of the, the hurt that I've caused someone, I've sinned, I've made a mistake, I've hurt someone, I realize the harm. What we begin to do is we begin to blame some flaw rather than really sitting down and owning the sorrow and saying, man, I've hurt you. I know I have. But when you come to talk to me, I begin to shift into this speech. It's like, how dare you harm me or ask me any more than the hatred that I've already heaped on myself? Have you ever been around someone like that? You want to talk to them and they've flogged themselves so many times. They feel horrible. They're worthless. But then you go to correct them, but they can't seem to own it. 
They send shift it back out at you because they're like, I've already paid the price. Well, no, just sit with the reality. You've hurt them. And the scriptures talk about godly sorrow leads to repentance. When I see the hurt I've caused, I sit with it, and I'm going to drive change because of it as opposed to pointing back out at you. Now, we can go on with this. We're going to talk about that one at great length next week. But if you receive this, if you're in the receiving end of gossip, if you live with someone who boasts, or if you live with someone who the problem is never in the room, you know, you know those people, you can never quite stick it to them. What do you do? Because this stuff hurts. It shapes lives. Well, Psalm 123, I lift my eyes to you. Oh, God, I love this. Don't, don't lose sight of this. Enthroned, the imagery. So here they are. Here they are in captivity. They've been carried off. They have an earthly king who is abusing them and, and is just wiping them out. So instead of putting their eyes on their enemy, they keep it in, pictured on the one who is truly in control. And they sing and they cry out and they say, God, I'm lifting my eyes to you. I'm coming to you. Now, here's the thing. I'm going to push in on this and I think this will, I think, I hope, brings us some real comfort. When you push in on that God, some of us struggle because if you read enough of the Psalms, you're going to realize, no, wait a minute. That God shows a lot of contempt. You ever thought about that? God shows contempt. I'm going to show you a couple of them. Psalm 2, verse 4. But the one who rules in heaven, look at what this says. What do you do with this verse? And there's a lot of them. The one who rules in heaven laughs. It's not, (laughs) this is so funny. It's a sarcastic laugh. It's It's that contempt. It's that sarcastic, what's wrong? The Lord scoffs at them. What do you do with that? Here's another one for you. Psalm 37, verses 12 to 13. The wicked plot against the godly. They snarl at them in defiance, but the Lord just, here it is again. It shows up again. The Lord just laughs, for he sees their day of judgment coming. What in the world do you do with that? So you're saying, Adam, okay, I feel contempt. I want to take it to God, but what's he going to give back to me? Let me go outside the Psalms. We're trying to keep everything in the Psalms, but I, I want to show you this is in the totality of Scripture. The book of Nahum. When's the last time you read Nahum, right? There's, there might be, some of you may have known that's in the Bible. It's in the very end of the Old Testament. It's in the Minor Prophets. But he says this, talking of the destruction of the Nineveh, you'll see him spelled out here. He says, I am your enemy, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Now, when you read this next part, picture a bully in elementary school. And now, or maybe middle school. And now I will lift your skirts and show all the earth your nakedness and shame. Picture the bully kind of running around with a stick trying to lift her skirt up so everyone can laugh. Or maybe grabbing their pants to pull a wedgie up. That's what I picture when I read this. And this is the God in heaven. The God of love and mercy and grace. What is this? I will cover you with filth and show the world how vile you really I mean, picture this. I'm going to cover you with dung. I'm going to just kick dirt in your face. I picture again the bully on the playground, knocks the person down, is sitting there kicking dirt and dust all over him. All who see you will shrink back and say, Nineveh lies in ruins. Where are the mourners? Does anyone regret your destruction? Does it make you cringe a little? What do you do with this? This God who shows contempt and you want me to come to him? Here's what I believe. 
God's contempt exposes the crime. It's poetic justice, if you will. It provokes horror. And in that horror, he's calling us to repent. Let me share something with you about God's judgment. Something I'm really learning right now. When you read through the scriptures and you look at God's judgment, God's judgment, the best of my understanding of it, always entails hope. Have you ever thought about that? Why does he speak it? When you look at it from Genesis all the way through the book of Revelation, he's speaking it to us to say, listen, turn, come back to me, come out into the light, come to your God and worship me. Love me more than you love all this. Come to me. Repent and turn. It has a picture of reconciliation and life. It's not just this doom and gloom. It's, it's all over. Because when you really think about it, think about the cross of Jesus Christ, the spitting, the pulling out of the hair. It says in the scripture when he had his arms stretched, the nails that went through his wrist and his feet. It says, nailed our sin to the cross. The contempt that poured out on Jesus was contempt that was due us. And when I think about God's contempt towards evil and wickedness, here's what a heart of this morning I would say. Our use of contempt against others and ourselves will be transformed, will be turned around, will be, will be redemptive, will be transformed as we are unnerved by God's mockery of evil. Evil is gruesome. It is ugly. The sin that lies inside of you, all of us have it. It is an enemy of who God is. And God doesn't pussyfoot around with it. He hits it head on. So much so that he says, you cannot fix it. So he pours all of his wrath out on his son, Jesus Christ. All of his wrath. That's why John chapter 3, don't miss the progression of John chapter 3. The famous verse, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he sent his son, that whosoever believes in him shall not what? Perish, but have eternal life. The very next verse, God sent us into the world not to condemn the world, but to save the world. If you continue through the progression, but, there's a, there's a transition, but men loved darkness. That evil that's inside of them, they hungered for it. So they went and they hid. And then you know what it says? Many of us miss this verse. John chapter 3, I think it's verse 36. But the wrath of God remains on their head. So if you're not in Jesus, this contempt, God looks down at evil and he says, man, it's bad. So he says, I've called you into the light. Come into the light. That's why the root of contempt, it's arrogant, it's pride. It's saying, I can do it myself. I'm better than you. I'm stronger than you. I can pull myself up by my bootstraps. I can be religious. I can make it. God says, no, you can't. Stare at God's mockery of evil. And what I believe begins to happen, you begin to shudder, and shuddering is a prelude to grace if you allow it. Horror opens the door to wonder, I believe, if you allow it. So I'd say come out into the light. And when you're in the light, you're a child of God. And when you're in the light, if you feel condemned, here's what I would say. So if you say, I'm a believer in Jesus, you know what the scriptures teach? There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you feel condemned, you know what I'd say? That's not God. That's your accuser. Not God at all. He doesn't show this mockery of you, his children. 
He looks at you and sees Jesus. So if you're still running around condemned, we're going to talk about it at great length next week about shame and guilt. But oftentimes what that is, it's a voice of your accuser saying, ha ha, you're not good enough for God. No, Jesus. Here's what I've learned. I just want to close with. Mercy is harder to receive than condemnation. You ever thought about that? It is easier to receive condemnation from the people around you than it is to receive mercy. It's easier to receive from God condemnation and judgment than it is his mercy. Because what mercy does, mercy strips away the pretense and it says you need help. If I am in need of mercy from you, it means I'm in need. And I can't do it, so you've got to step towards me and I've got to come out of the light. Brene Brown, I don't believe she's a Christian, the best of my understanding, but she says some very profound things. She says this, until we receive with an open heart, we're never really giving with an open heart. When we attach judgment to receiving help, we knowingly or unknowingly attach judgment to giving help. Do you know how many times I've sat with Christians in this church and others who have a really hard time taking from others, whether it's meals or when you sit with them, they're just overwhelmed, almost to the point where they feel ashamed that, they, that they're getting all this support and help. You know why it is? Because a lot of times when we look to help others, what we're really doing is lifting ourselves up. Yeah, I can meet a need. Look at me. No. So then when turn, Brene Brown says, so if I'm judging and meeting a need, then when the need moves my direction, I'm going to condemn myself because I'm going to judge me now. Mercy is scary. Mercy is hard. And when you stand at God's mockery of evil and look how it was poured out on Jesus Christ, and then you stand and walk, say, I've got to walk out into the light of that God and receive his grace and mercy. I can't do it myself. You're right, you can't. So receive his grace and his help. And we can begin to walk through that. I think we find great hope in the light of contentment, contempt. I want to close in prayer. I want to pray for two, this, this morning's message. I know there's two groups that I think this is going to generally hit. One, it hits some of you who are in the receiving end of contempt. Right now, you're probably thinking of or hope, maybe thought throughout this message of someone who has leveled an accusation against you, who is gossiping and spreading all kinds of stuff about you, whether it's an employee at work, whether it's, um, whether it's maybe a parent or a child, whether it's a teacher, someone that you're thinking of right now that has just absolutely, you're, you're thinking, man, if they would just, so you're hurting deeply from the contempt that you've maybe even received years ago. So I want to pray for you be able to have the strength to look to, this, to the, the God of creation, your God, and wrestle with who he is. Second thing, I'm going to pray for those of you who show contempt. That's most of us, to be honest. Most of us in this room, I think, struggle at some level with this. I want to pray for you just to say, you know what, I'm going to be brave. I want to specifically pray for this. I'm going to pray for you to be brave enough to go have a conversation with the person that you show contempt towards whether it's someone you're gossiping about, you're slandering, whether it's someone that you just, I just want to pray that you get brave and you say, you know what? I'm going to walk towards them this week and I'm going to have a conversation. I'm going to sit down out of love and engage. I'm going to pray for their success and their well-being, not just for their damnation. So I'm going to pray for those two groups as we close. God, thank you so much for Jesus. God, I start out by just praying for those in this room that hurt deeply from contempt whether it's words that were spoken by a parent, a father, a mom, a coach years ago, 
or whether it's the gossip and stuff that's being spread around right now. God, it is painful. Dallas Willard, I love his words. Um, It'd be almost more merciful to murder than it is to live enduring contempt. So God, I pray for those right now that are struggling, that are hurting. God, give them the courage to lift their eyes to you, to see you, to wrestle with who you are, to come to you and see you as the God who's enthroned in heaven. God, I pray for those that show contempt. God, would they see it for what it is? Would you convict the heart right now? Would they see that it's arrogant and pride at its finest? That it's, um, it's gruesome. It dehumanizes the people in their lives. And it actually hurts them. God, would you help us see that those of us that show contempt, it really hurts us. Because we want to be connected. We want to walk with people. We want to be in that inner crowd. And <laughs> showing contempt is the wrong way to get it. And then the intimacy that we do get is usually poison, and it'll soon turn on us too. So God, I pray for the courage this week to go talk to that person that we struggle with. Or maybe where we have talked, would we reach out for help? And really just say, you know what, I've got to kill this thing in my heart. God, finally I pray for all of us as we look to you and we see you mock evil. You scoff at it. You laugh at it. You, it is, it's, man, you hit this thing hard. God, but we understand without Jesus, that moves in our direction. But God, you, you don't want it to. You've sent your son, Jesus. You've called us out into the light. And you've, God, you've said, humble yourself. Come to me, and I will give you grace and help and rest. Help us to be people that are open to receiving your mercy. Maybe someone in this room right now for the very first time will step towards you and receive your mercy. God, I pray for that person. to Put their trust and faith in Jesus. God, for those in this room that are walking in relationship with you, God, I pray you help us daily to continue to say, God, here I am. I'm a sinner without Jesus. I'm lost. Help us to trust in your promises, not your commands. Help us to trust in the things that you say are true and right and good. You love us. You're for us in the person of Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.